This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. And welcome to the Saturday edition of Coffee House Shops, the Spectator's Daily Politics Podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman, and I'm joined by Fraser Nelson, James Forsyth, and Matthew Paris. And today we're talking about the influence that Margaret Thatcher is having on the contest. Matthew, this is something you've written about. So, why do you think Thatcher is looming so large over the modern day Conservative Party race? Well, the Thatcher that I remember, I, I was um, her letter writer answering letters from the general public for two years, the last two years of her leadership of the opposition before she became prime minister. The Thatcher that I remember has been largely forgotten. The Thatcher, whom you describe as dominating conservative politics now, is a sort of pantomime version of herself towards which she did totter towards the um, end of her life. It's a, it's a sort of grand dame, sweeping denunciations of this, that or the other. She was not like that in opposition and she was not actually like that in her first years in government. She was a rather cautious person whose instincts were pretty right-wing, but who made sure that she surrounded herself by doubters. And she was initially doubted as Conservative leader, wasn't she? She wasn't taken seriously when she was elected. Is that something that you also can see parallels with uh, whoever wins this contest? Yes. A lot of the kind of people who now describe themselves as, as Thatcherites and, and like doing imitations of her voice and all that kind of thing were the very people who didn't think a woman should be leader of the Conservative Party at all in the 1970s, or rather they were the modern equivalents of those people, that she had a very insecure first few years and she listened to the doubters. She didn't like people disagreeing with her. She would blow them out of the water when they tried to disagree with her, but you would then notice that she quietly trimmed her sails. And, for instance, I don't remember her talking about tax cuts at all in in those days, Not, not at all. James, why are both Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak paying so much homage to Margaret Thatcher? Liz Truss has been accused and has denied that she dresses just like the former Prime Minister. Rishi Sunak has been much more deliberate in his tribute, saying that he would be the Thatcherite candidate. Again, why are they so keen to to be the heir to Thatcher? I think there are kind of three reasons for this. I think first, it is clear that the country is at a kind of inflection point in a similar way that it was in the late 70s. And so she she is obviously something to kind of grasp onto for that reason. The second is that she combined radicalism with seriousness about governing. A lot of radicalism in recent years on the right has just been chucking big ideas out there with no idea of how to actually deliver them. She actually, she had big ideas and she actually did deliver on them. And I think the third thing is she won elections. And I think it is that combination is what makes her so appealing. You talk about Rishi Sunak, who I've known for years. You know, I think one of the other reasons he is invoking Margaret Thatcher is he is trying to tell the Tory party and the public a kind of hard truth, which is, you know, that he doesn't think it is responsible to cut taxes right now. 
And I, I think that part of his logic is, look, you know, Margaret Thatcher, who everyone agrees was, you know, everyone in the Tory party agrees was a successful prime minister. She didn't cut taxes because she prioritised fighting inflation, which is back in a way that we haven't seen in recent decades, because inflation makes everybody poorer. And I think, I think he is hoping to persuade people of his argument by saying, look, you know, Margaret Thatcher, who no one thinks of as a wet or as on the left of the Tory party, she thought that fighting inflation was the most important thing. Fraser, isn't this also, though, a sign that the candidates have all kind of run out of ideas, maybe even the party, that they're sort of stuck in the past in the same way as when people talk about British identity, that they end up sort of talking about bunting and cakes because that they, they don't really have the courage to, to think of, of what we stand for today. That's not really how I see it. I think this is more a rhetorical device which two wings of the Conservative Party tend to use against each other. Liz Truss isn't talking about Margaret Thatcher. It's Rishi Sunak who sees if he can cram her name as many times as he could into a Telegraph article yesterday. I think he, he managed it, I think, four times in one paragraph at one stage. And it seems quite bizarre to me to talk almost as if you're sort of Marxist trying to talk about Lenin and what would Lenin think of this and Lenin think of that, that day-to-day ideas seem to be put to the test of what, what would Maggie think. Now, she was operating half a century ago under very different circumstances. And I think trying to, to summon her ghost into the leadership hustings is not just anachronistic, but not entirely helpful. So then you work to work out, well, who's talking about Thatcher? Now, what we saw 15 years ago, by the way, still quite a time, was well, more than that, 17 years ago, with David Cameron and David Davis. So that leadership contest, had the, they were the final two. David Davis wanted to cut taxes. And David Cameron came up with this, at the time, quite strange device. He was saying, no, I, David Cameron, don't want to cut taxes, and that makes me a Thatcherite, and it makes you, David Davis, a Reaganite. So this was the distinction they used back in 2005, the Thatcherites versus the Reaganites. And this, talking about Thatcher, was a weapon from the the Cameron era wing of the party to use against the tax-cutting, more free market end of the party. Now, of course, this has got the double advantage of portraying your opponent as being anachronistic, and also saying that he's your opponent is somehow being untrue to conservative values because he wants to cut tax, while at the same time trying to give yourself greater authenticity by invoking Thatcher, who you are elevating to the patron saint of conservatism. Now, I can understand why you might use these tactics in a Tory leadership debate. I'm not quite sure what the general public is supposed to make of these um, what would Maggie think debates. But I'm not sure that any candidate who wants to cut taxes, as Liz Truss does, is harking back to the past. It's an economic policy, which I think ought to stand or fall on its relative merits. She wants to use debt to finance tax cuts. Now, we can have a debate about that, but I'm not entirely sure by saying Thatcher would never have done this. I mean, Thatcher was in power for a long, long time. She was head of the Conservative Party for a long, long time. And that included periods where she did increase taxes in some parts, she decreased taxes in other parts. And the sheer length of that record means that I think it's difficult to attribute to her her benediction or her posthumous curse on any one policy. I agree with that completely, Fraser, except in this respect, you say that Liz Truss isn't talking about Margaret Thatcher, which isn't talking about her, but she's dressing in that extraordinary bow or, you know, appearing in, in military situations. I, d- I don't think there's any question, but that she wants to capture something of the spirit of Margaret Thatcher and appropriate it to 
to herself. And, and it is interesting that both she, in her visual way, and, and Rishi, perhaps in a slightly more intellectual way, do still keep harking back in that way. And I think you're right, that they're, they're both using her as a weapon. Fraser, you're always interested in assessing politicians' fashion. Uh, do you agree with Matthew's claim that Liz Truss is often dressing up as Margaret Thatcher, even if she's not referencing her? I would like to defend Liz Truss here. Uh, the pussy bow, which Matthew's referring Someone to... Someone has to. You know, it, it, is, it isn't exactly an obscure article. She's not coming in an Elizabethan rough or anything like that. You get lots of women wear pussy bows now and again. I did a quick survey around the office here asking my colleagues, do they own one? About half of them do. Cindy, a podcast editor, does not have one yet in her wardrobe, but there's always time. So, you know, so she wore a pussy bow, right? I mean, to the gallows with her. I mean, really. She just, but that's she not her only Thatcher outfit, is it? Let's, let's be honest. For well, hat. I don't know. These pussy bows were more, were more fashionable in the 80s than they are now. So there's something anachronistic about wearing them. How many of those you surveyed would have worn a fur hat on Red Square on a warm day in Moscow? Well, Matthew, I'll tell you who else wore a fur hat that day. Ben Wallace. He was the first person when he went to Russia to wear that exact article. In fact, he bought one that was identical to Liz Truss's because he couldn't stand the fact that she was getting away with this, um, <laughs> with this hat and he wasn't. Now, I don't think anybody at the time was comparing Ben Wallace to Thatcher just because he wore one of those funny little Russian hats. It's a Russian prop. It's a daft one. And then you're, the third evidence for the prosecution is that she was pictured while riding a tank. Now, again, it's not entirely uncommon for politicians to get involved in military gear. The Prime Minister himself was flying a Typhoon fighter jet a few days ago, and nobody quite claimed he was trying to invoke the spirit of Tom Cruise. Well, actually, people did claim that. But, you know, <laughs> yes. but there are, I mean, I remember speaking to Liz Truss about that, what she was doing in photo shoot, and she put it quite simply. She was saying, Look, if somebody asks you if you want to get on a tank, why would you not get on the tank? And I thought, yeah, I'll buy that. James, just one other part of Margaret Thatcher's legacy, which seems to me to be very relevant to this contest, is the way in which some Conservative MPs still get very emotional about the way she was removed from office. And there is already developing a betrayal narrative around Boris Johnson and the way in which he has had to leave power obviously very different circumstances. But do you think that that's something that the Conservative Party might have to learn learn again, another lesson? I think the danger for the Tory party is that it's now had kind of three leaders in six years. And every time a political party removes its leader, it injects a certain amount of poison into the system. And I think the Tory party is getting kind of dangerously close to kind of septic shock. And I think you actually saw that at the end of Boris Johnson's last Prime Minister's questions, when Theresa May wouldn't clap him out of a chamber because she obviously feels so raw about how she was brought down and the problem you've got is you know in the same way that there were a small group of people who throughout Boris Johnson's premiership felt very bitter about how he treated Theresa May there are clearly going to be a group of Boris Johnson loyalists who will pine for him and his return even under a new leader now I think we should be careful, though, with, with one bit of his argument about the departure of Margaret Thatcher in 1992, which was obviously in very different circumstances to Boris Johnson's, which is the Tories did win the election that followed in 1992. And I think in some ways, one of the differences between now and 1995, for example, is I don't think that Labour are so far ahead that there is you know, zero prospect of the Tories managing to win the next election. I think, I think you know, that, that Keir Starmer is more Neil Kinnock than Tony Blair, so the Tories still do have a chance of winning the next election. I also think you have to be realistic about 
what ultimately brought down the Boris Johnson government. And I think ultimately what brought down the Boris Johnson government was Boris Johnson and his own mistakes, right? You can't get around that problem. This is He was not brought down by some great ideological debate in the way that Margaret Thatcher was. It was a series of mistakes and a feeling among the cabinet and ministers that, you know, they couldn't go on the the media because they couldn't rely on what they were being told. Yeah, that's quite true about the betrayal narrative. You've written about it and Danny Finkelstein in The Times has written about it as well. I think you could add Trump to that betrayal narrative uh, analysis. It, It is quite true that Trump's own supporters still believe that he he was uh, betrayed, cheated a victory. But nevertheless, the, the rest of the world has another opinion. And I hope that will be the case with Boris. Matthew, James, Fraser, thank you very much. And thank you for listening. <laughs>